to you wherever you're listening to us around the world the domestiques are back for episode four it's wednesday july the 6th and it really is so good to have you on board i can tell you that we are receiving a lot of feedback from you the listener the viewer and we thank you for tuning in to this inaugural pilot series i guess you could call it where we talk everything that's current in the world of cycling and i've got to say uh, there's a true international flavor about the domestics in uh, this episode. Our team captain, Matilda Reynolds, is in New Zealand. Tills, what's happening over there? Morning, Mike. Yeah, just trying to catch up on what was a very, very exciting stage last night. So, yeah, a little bit chilly here compared to what the, the guys are experiencing. Uh, but, yeah, it's always a bit of a mad panic to wake up, watch the highlights, grab a coffee, and excited to uh, yeah discuss it all with you today. Yeah, time difference is certainly the key. We are on all corners of the planet. Hollywood, we are calling you the sprinter. Now, you sprinted your way to the uh, the podcast today. Uh, what's yes. happened to you? Tell us the story. I don't want to bore people, but I'm in Italy somewhere. I actually don't know what town I'm in. We flew into Bari and then drove an hour. It's been chaos and disorder, but to cut a long story short, I'm here and I'm pumped to talk about today's stage because I did watch it. I watched it all. It was fantastic. Yeah, I, I don't understand. Italy and chaos, those two things don't go hand in hand. <laughs> oh, well, they do today, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm in the land of Oz and uh, I won't be here for long because I'll be jumping on a plane very soon and travelling to the warmer climes for bike-style tours. More on that coming up in future editions of The Domestics. Now, I'd like to ask you, you, yes, you with the headphones on, or perhaps you're commuting to work, uh, you're tuned into us. Where are you listening to us from? Uh, we'd like to ask you, uh, what do you want us to talk about? Apart from, of course, the obvious, the big races that are currently taking place, give us your feedback. Tell us what you want to hear on any topic you'd like us to discuss. Well, coming up in today's podcast, we've got a very special guest. His name is Bearding McBeard. He is, as far as I'm concerned, the world's most famous cycling photographer. He's an Aussie, he's in France, and he is following the tour. More on that coming up in The Domestiques. Well, let's kick things off now by catching up with the latest from La Tour, where the big bike race reached home soil. Stage four today, the riders started from the port city of Dunkirk made their way inland and finished on the uh, or in the other port city of Calais, situated on the English Channel coast. And what we saw today was something quite extraordinary. I don't know if I should start with you, Hollywood, because you were frantic when uh, you approached us. But I will start with you, Tills. It was incredible. The name, <laughs> the name Van Art, the name Walt Van Art is on everybody's lips. And what he did today was quite extraordinary. 
Oh, yeah, I think we had him picked as a favourite for today's stage, but probably just not with how it played out. I think we thought potentially it might be a small bunch sprint, but, yeah, what an incredible result for him to essentially rode away from the favourites uh, on on the last climb there and, and to drop his own teammates and, and keep going. I think there seemed to be a lot of chaos behind him with the sprinters. Poor old Jasper Philipson, um, he thought he'd won the stage, so I just can't understand what's going on with the DS and what he was being communicated but there seemed to be a lot of chaos behind him and Walt was only a few seconds in front of the peloton so I'm not sure if he just wasn't looking up I can I understand how it can happen with that much chaos behind but yeah what an incredible win for Walt Van Aert and there's just some insane stats that we're hearing on on the amount that he's won even in the last six the last six stages of the Tour de France, so including last year, he's had three firsts and three seconds. Yeah, that's yeah. that's his that's his results for the last six stages. So yeah, it's incredible uh, athlete we're watching. Yeah, what we're witnessing at the moment is pretty special. Chaz, I want to ask you, uh, as a, an elite champion cyclist yourself, you got yourself the leader's jersey. You move away from the peloton. There's no real need to do that, and you hang on for as long as he did and win the stage. How difficult is that? How tactical? How clever do you have to be to produce a performance like that? Well, Mike, I might just stop you there. I don't think I'm in any type of the same sentence or uh, or an elite champion, but I will, you know, I think it it was crazy that uh, a lot of, just the way it was set up by his team. I think he was, I think Podjakar was very fortunate. He was out of position that uh, Walt didn't take two of his teammates with him and and push on with the the effort. And I'm not sure if GCs would have gone with him, whether um, he would have stayed away as well. So incredible effort, but also, you know, sometimes just nothing you can do about it. Hollywood, is it safe to ask you what you thought of the stage today? Uh, honestly, it was just so exciting to watch because Jumbo went to the front and, and um, because all the talk was whether Greenidge, whether uh, Dylan would get over the climb because that's what, the, and they were positioning him up, up near the front. You could see them moving him up. He was right near the front. But then when Jumbo just went bang, they just hit the gas and it just it just shattered like a like a glass piece of, a glass bottle. It just was people everywhere and they just ramped it up, crested the hill. He looked back. There was only um, I think it was Thomas. Uh, no, uh, what's the uh, uh, Yates? Thank you. And his teammate and he just went again. And then uh, his teammate let Yates do the chasing. The elastic band snapped. He just looked beautiful, all in yellow. I was so impressed he had matching yellow bibs today, which was just perfect. And he just <laughs> went away and went bang again. Uh, and he held him off. It was just so exciting. You just you could not do anything but root for him. Like I was just like, come on, stay away, stay away. It was just, it was unbelievable. It was just such a, a, a magnificent performance. It was just beautiful to watch. Champagne cycling at its best. Well, you know, I'm reading reports that the performance today was up there with the likes of some of the greats, Eddie Merckx, Bernard Hinault, and the Wout Van Aert. We are seeing an absolute legend in the making. Oh. There's no reason to suggest he could win the Tour. The guy can do anything across any discipline. Let me just remind you what the overall standings look like after Stage 4. Van Aert has now extended his lead to 25 seconds uh, across, over uh, Yves Lampert. Uh, Tadej Pogacar is third. Pedersen, Mats Pedersen is in fourth, sec, uh, fourth place, 36 seconds behind with uh, Vingegaard in 
the top five. So we've got two riders from Yumbo Visma. They are looking good. I tell you what, Pogacar in third place, uh, the favourite to win the tour overall, is looking pretty good. The Giro Donna, uh, Matilda, uh, what happened today just quickly? Yeah, just quickly, essentially it was uh, same results, different stage. You had Elisa Balsamo edging out Charlotte Cool and Marina Voss in third uh, and no, no real changes into GC. I am absolutely cheering for Amanda Spratt, who's sitting in fifth position. It's awesome to see Spratty back and really getting back to her um, champion ways. I think I'm also really interested in this story with uh, – so Charlotte Cool is a DSM rider. Uh, she She's had uh, – uh, seconds throughout the Giro Donne, but she is the uh, teammate of Lorena Webus, and she's really been struggling that she hasn't been getting that opportunity to win. So she's got that opportunity now at the Giro Donna and she hasn't quite gotten the win. So I'm cheering for her and, and doesn't get many opportunities. So it'll be interesting to see if she can get up for a win. But yeah, no real changes, no changes to GC, but a, a, another good sprint by Elisa Balsamo. All right, uh, time to welcome in our special guest. You're listening to The Domestics. The Domestics by Black Sheep Cycling. Well, it comes as no surprise that the members of the World Cycling Fraternity are covering the world's greatest bike race, the Tour de France, and uh, rightly so. It is the grand final of the sport. Our special guest has formed a reputation that places him among the elite when it comes to cycling photography. And take it from me, Beardy McBeard's creations are simply irresistible. He comes to us from the tour. It's a big hello to Beardy McBeard. Another big round of applause, everyone. Woo! Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, Beardy. It's great to have you. And uh, uh, tell us about the tour so far. You've been there many times. It's been three years, I think, since uh, you last jumped on a motorbike and followed those men in coloured clothing around. Uh, how is it to be back this year? Um, yeah, it's good. It's been two years, but yeah, it feels like a really long time. Um, and yeah, it's pretty anxious to get started and, and get it all happening. But no, it's nice to be here. And and yeah, we got thrown in the deep end with a individual time trial to start the, the race, which is always for photographers is a, is a big deal because yet, you know, you've got to photograph every rider and it's a lot of images um, getting snapped all day and then you have to do a big edit and that's they started in the in the afternoon so it was working late into the evening on our first day um, but yeah it was it was a cool stage very um, beautiful city to ride around and and um, visit Copenhagen. Copenhagen yeah and while the weather wasn't ideal I felt for them a bit because apparently there'd been 12 years in the planning this um, grand depart and um, it pissed down with rain like it was biblical so um, <clears throat> yeah the poor riders rolling down the, the ramp and uh, into some pretty treacherous conditions because there was cobblestones and you know city streets in Europe they just leach oil when it rains and they're very slippery so um, it's it's not ideal for for racing a time trial bike on you know, high PSI, small tyres, and yeah, I, I wouldn't like to do it. <laughs> I think they had the heebie-jeebies so bad that Garen Thomas even forgot to take his GLA off. <laughs> Beardy, can I ask you, um, this is obviously uh, the biggest event in the world for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons, and I guess the same applies to you. What do you look for? I mean, your creations 
uh, as I said before, simply irresistible, and they are. And I mean that. You are one of the uh, the best in the world. But what do you look for? What makes your creations different to anyone else's? Um, well, I've had a lot of time to look over images and think about coming back and what I'll do when I came back to the Tour de France. And, and I wanted to do something different and, and sort of change my imagery in a way um, to make it as unique as possible. And I guess I want to make each image as visually appealing and and as spectacular as possible i look for you know unique elements and and compositional elements and also lighting and and um and action as well um so making the most dynamic and exciting photograph i can um with what i'm given um as well as seeking out um the best locations to to showcase you know france and denmark and and, and what the where the race goes and what it's about. Um, so I guess if you they're the sort of things that I look for when I'm taking my photographs. Yeah, Beauty, I've been a fan for such a long time. I remember even back before I started cycling, I actually brought a print from you in your tiny little Bondi apartment uh, from my coach at the at the time. And I absolutely miss your daily blogs. So you used to have this daily, Beauty used to have this daily blog on pretty much discussing how his day unfolded and it was so dramatic and I'd pretty much read that blog over actually watching the tour but Beatty I was wondering whether you could give us a bit of a, a snapshot of what a day in the life of Beatty McBeard looks like in trying to cover the tour um, because I think it you don't really think about just how challenging it is to get from one end to the other and to get that winning shot and everything that happens in between. Yeah sure well today Woke up in probably the worst hotel I've ever stayed in my life um, and then went for a quick 15-minute um, jog trying to do something because I didn't. it's the first year I haven't brought my bike so I couldn't get out on the bike but I wanted to do something. Um, and then went to the cafe, got some croissants and had a coffee uh, before we made our way to the start. But we did some route planning, um, me and my colleague Leon who's taking photographs as well, um, and we we decided on where we were going to be and um, what were the possibilities to cut across the course to get in front of the riders. Um, so our accreditation allows us to drive on the race course, but outside of the race envelope. Um, so when we take a photograph, we stop in a, a spot, we wait for the riders to come past and then we either exit the course after the race or we follow along and then exit shortly after. Um, and then we have to leapfrog the race, uh, which is quite difficult because even though cars go a lot faster than bikes, they have got a closed road and we've got local traffic, tractors, people crossing the road, spectators, all sorts of things to, to um, contend with. So it, it is quite an effort to get ahead of them. Um, so we do our route planning to try and find the best way to get around the race once we've stopped and maximise the amount of spots. Um, it's no point just stopping anywhere. You've got to try and find the best locations to stop. So we use Google Maps and Street View and that sort of stuff to, to scope out the locations and, and find, you know, there might be a bridge where we could stand on and shoot from a different angle or a beautiful cobbled street. On today's stage, there was a, a cobbled climb that went through a small archway into a, an old town, which is really, really pretty. So we, we marked that as our spot number one. And then we very optimistically wanted to try and get another spot soon after that which we may or may not have got and we we tried to but 
as soon as the race passes, all everyone just goes out on the road. So um, Leon was driving and he was on the horn, pressed beep, 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 trying to clear the, the road as we sort of made our way through all the spectators um, to try and get to our other spot. And then finally the road cleared up and we got to the spot, but we were a few minutes too late and the, the, the race had already passed. But no matter, we got we got three more spots that the, in the stage, so it, it wasn't that big a deal. But sometimes you just kind of try and get a bonus one where you can. Um, so, yeah, the route planning is a big part of it, um, identifying what is a good spot um, and then obviously making it to the finish with enough time to, to get the finish line shot. And so you've been doing this for a few years. What's like one day that really sticks out to you as just a bit of a shit show, nothing went right, um, and, but you got there in the end? Um, well, probably the worst day was when we were, it was actually the last stage of the 20, what would it have been, 2018 Tour de France. And we've been driving around France crazily for like five, 6,000 kilometres. It was a big, a lot of transfers that year. And we were just coming into Paris to park in the, the thing. And we, I had a, a guy driving for me, Alvaro, a Spanish guy. And um, we're just turning. I said, oh, you missed the turn. And he turned a bit too late. And we just smashed into a pole and destroyed the front half of the car. <laughs> and Skoda had, had um, wow. lent us the car for the race. Fortunately, we took the tyre off, which was the, was punctured, and we put a, a um, space saver on, and we all managed to get to the, the stage, and we, we shot it all, and, yeah, had to sheepishly take it back at the end of the race and say, oops, and they did a nice invoice for me. It was like 5,000 euros, gave it to me, and I was like, but we didn't have to pay, so that was nice. But, um, uh, yeah, that was a pretty bad day and got left us pretty sh shaken up. And, you know, after such a long... Um, you know, we we drive pretty much at the limit of what is you can do on streets <laughs> to get to the spots. It's it's it is pretty hair raising at times. So um, to get through it unscathed and then have that happen at the end was pretty sad. Oh, you guys aren't getting like a VIP transfer or anything like that. You had to do the 900k's rest day, travel day yesterday. Yeah, yeah, we had a 900k lovely transfer ride. Um, Unfortunately, in um, in the Netherlands, they decided that they were going to have a little strike um, and the farmers were all going to drive their tractors out onto the highway. Um, so we had to take side roads pretty much for like about 150 k's, um, which added a, a lot of travel time to our, to our um, final already long day. And we ended up in some really crazy roads. There was one section of road that was... was barely wide enough for two cars with a steep drop off on the edge um, and you're just kind of like teetering on the edge of this road just almost kissing mirrors as you go past cars coming in the other direction um, and I was driving at this point and yeah with anyone that's like jumped in the car on the other side of the road knows it, it takes a while to get your eye in on those sort of things and yeah it was it was I was pretty happy to get to the hotel even though it was a bit of a dive Peter, you said earlier that you were taking photographs of every rider in the peloton. Why is that? Why do you have to take a picture of everybody? I would have thought you'd just take the winners or those at the front of the peloton or the front of the race. Uh, at an individual time trial, you want to make sure you get the winner. That was the, yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's someone you don't expect, you know, like the, the stage um, in Copenhagen. Um, and, and I'd actually 
found a spot that I really liked. And, you know, you want to get a, a range of shots as well. Like, it's not no good just having a lot of the same image over and over again. So I once Walt Van Aert went past and I saw he posted the fastest time, I was like, that's it, done. Now, Beardy, tell me something. Do you ever, when you're in the race, do you ever just pinch yourself and go, ah, I'm in the Tour de France. I'm part of this. I am on in the biggest bike. Do you ever pinch yourself and go, I can't believe I'm here? Yeah, absolutely. All the time it happens. Today, especially, like I was sitting there with a whole bunch of photographers, lenses pointed at the finish line waiting for to see. And I I had no idea what was happening in the race. Uh, it was being explained to me in French, but I wasn't listening um, over the microphone. Um, but I was just, you know, getting my lens sorted, getting that everything dialed in, ready to go. And then I looked and I could see this, like, it was pretty hot. So there was, you know, heat haze coming off of the tarmac. And um, I could see in the distance, like, this yellow shape coming towards the finish line. And then this this flapping bird uh. coming. And I was like, what is going on? Like, I was just <laughs> expecting a bunch of sprint. I didn't know that what was out in front or what the hell was going on in the race. And then all of a sudden, I see this, this person come out, like, flapping across the line. I was like, whoa, you know, take a million photos. Um, and so... Yeah, that, that was a really crazy day. Not something that, that I expected at all. But yeah, a lot of times it, it's super surreal being there. I, I know at the end when you're at the on the Champs-Élysées and you're just like looking down towards the Arc de Triomphe and they've got the planes flying overhead and you're like, wow, this is like really amazing to be part of something like this. Um, so yeah, it's pinch yourself moments on a, um, on a daily basis, I'd say. I, I think tomorrow will be as well when we're out there on the cobbles um, chasing the riders around. It's going to be real hectic and real fun, but um, it's, it's you know, it was a, to not be here for two years and then come back and, and, you know, watch it for on TV. Like, it had been a long time since I watched it on TV. This is my sixth Tour de France. Um, so it was really something to come back and, like, immerse myself in it once more and, and realise just how, like, it's very intense and it's super hard work. Like, it's what almost 11 o'clock and I'm still going and we, you know, we, I was up at eight this morning. So it's a, it's a big day, um, every day, but yeah, it, it's also super rewarding and, and, you know, you just get to see so much and be part of the whole Tour de France story. So definitely. Beardy, cool. can I ask you, uh, when you get so close to the peloton, you obviously see if the riders are in uh, good shape or they're suffering, of the overall contenders, is it too early to tell who is in a good place and who is not? Yeah, I don't think it's really, we've really tested them yet and that sort of, I think tomorrow could be a potential case for some people to get sorted out. Like it's not really the, the place where GC riders like to be, bouncing along the cobblestones. You know, like people like Nairo Quintana, like they're pretty light on the bike and I, I, they must really, really dislike having to go and put themselves against the cobblestones um so that might be a shake-up but at this point Bodjikar looks as cool and composed as he has in the last two years so I'd say um in, with you know I'd say definitely be the favorite no doubt and so it was going to be what's your picks for stage four Biddy? it's obviously going to be a hectic stage to try to photograph as well and get around to all the different sectors yeah it is going to be super hectic um got a pretty good plan so i should be able to see about three or four cobble state um sectors if i'm lucky um 
I think Matthew Vanderpoel is definitely the number one pick for, for tomorrow's stage. Like, he's been pretty quiet in the race so far, and I think, you know, him and Walter got such a rivalry going on that I think he'd really like to get one up and, and, and get that stage win. Um, but, yeah, Walt's in, you know, incredible form as well and also rides the cobbles like a beast. So who knows? Could be those two sparring it out to the finish. And speaking of rivalry, what's it like in the media pack at the end? Are you throwing elbows and, and trying oh. to get in there? Or is there respect or or how, how does that work? And I'm sure it's changed so much over the years. Yeah, it has. Uh, it's pretty good, actually. Um, we're actually all pretty good mates, so we get on pretty well. And, and people are like, there's definitely a bit of a rivalry. And, and, and I think that the healthy competition keeps the images to a high standard and everyone is always like striving to get the best stuff and it is a little bit of a race within the race um but yeah they've actually changed the rules a little bit since i was here last um we used to do a finish line and then there was the potential to to you know grab your cameras and run to where the winner was as fast as you could and get some close-up shots of them celebrating and with the team and that sort of stuff and they've they've now not allowed that um, and that was probably one of the tensest times because all the photographers would run to that the the winner and there's riders coming in it was it was really dangerous it was very exciting and i enjoyed it a lot um, and i'm sad to see it go because it was some i got some amazing images of like caleb winning and you know, cavendish winning and all sorts of like you know after a sprint there's just riders everywhere and you're like pushing around through try to get to the, the spot and then the team comes in and it's just like the energy you know, there's bottles of water getting thrown over people's heads and hugging, and it, it's super nice. But, mm. yeah, it was also a, a, a point where a lot of people clashed and, and it, it got a bit messy sometimes. So uh, I think for safety, it's probably best that it, it, they don't allow us to do anymore. Media managers have a lot to answer for. I remember in the early days when I was covering the tour as a reporter, we had access to uh, the riders in team hotels. I've got images of uh, Robbie McEwen, for example, half naked uh, behind a shower screen after crashing on that particular day. His body or the skin on his body was completely torn off from the crash. We have uh, images of all the uh, big name writers at the time on uh, on uh, massage tables in the breakfast room, but those days are gone because of the introduction and I guess the power of the media manager and uh, they've certainly changed the dynamic on how television reporters like myself and perhaps photographers like yourself uh, cover the big bike race. Yeah, and also with the COVID restrictions, it's pretty it's pretty strict that like it's not a full on bubble like they have in the past, but. They, they really want to try and keep the riders as separate from everyone else as possible. Um, you know, they're wearing masks at all times. Like, pretty much no one's wearing masks anywhere we go anymore here. And, like, we have to wear them around in the whenever we close to any riders. Um, so that's sort of getting into hotel rooms and seeing riders, you know, at close up, I don't think is happening as much as it was. Definitely. All right, uh, Beardy, stay with us. You're listening to The Domestics. Listen, I want to touch on the subject of fashion horror shows in the peloton. Now, that is a pet topic of yours, uh, Hollywood. Yes. Tell us about it. Yes. Now, well, what I can say about the fashion so far, what things I've observed is the, the sock length has increased this year. I've noticed... 
Uh, nearly all the riders are wearing extremely long socks, which is uh, impresses me greatly. I love long socks and long sleeve length. So sleeve length long just down near the elbow and nice long socks. They look magnificent. Obviously, the horror show has been well documented. That funny thing they wore in the TT. Mm. Was it Sagan? Right? It's come of those... What, what, the time trial sock. Yeah, well, can you explain that to me, Matilda? Do you, know, do you know anything more about it? I just thought it looked like a neck snood going Mate, wrong, it's or... the future. Everything we've seen in the past, in the 80s, the 90s, it looked ridiculous. And then a few years later, that was all the trend. So essentially, yes. yeah, it was Specialized's new TT helmet, which comes with a sock to keep the helmet in place so it doesn't move. So you remember... Um, yeah, like the the TT in the in the Tour de France two years ago on you know the Yumbo helmet mm, coming off yeah, his head yeah. to avoid those sort of situations. So it looked, um, I'm sure the you know they were inspired by the Jedi's and uh, yeah, it's it's to keep the helmet in place, but does I, does look ridiculous. I think I'd probably rather lose seven or eight <laughs> seconds and look like an idiot. So I don't know. That's just me. I'd rather look a bit better. It just it did look. Uh, uh, ridiculous, it really did. But I aero, uh, going back to is everything. Aero uh, is everything, mate. Yeah, I know, I know. Look good first, worry about everything else. Second is also very important. But I must say, it's it just it brings me great joy. What I mentioned before, to see Wout wearing the matching yellow bib instead of just a you know the normal like he was earlier, where he just had the black normal team bibs on. He actually had the full matching yellow bibs and jersey it just looked sensational I, I would like him to see get to get the socks and shoes as well because they've got the yellow helmet it just uh is there anything more beautiful than just seeing the golden glow of yellow rolling through the peloton you can see it everywhere it looks magnificent hats off and to especially out. when uh, you're wearing the yellow and winning a stage i love that that is the absolute oh. cream of the top cream of the crop it, it, yeah. it really is. It really is. I think uh, Walt had a line at the end that said, um, the yellow jersey gives you wings, and I'm pretty sure Red Bull just paid him another million dollars into his yes. account for that. I and the celebration. If that, yeah, if that had to do with that celebration, they said, go across the line, giving you wings, and, yeah, there'll be another million dollars of euro into your account. Okay, stage five is on uh, later today. Um, cobbles. We have been looking forward to this particular stage for a long time. Uh, can we expect a Paris-Roubaix type of stage, Tills, or something like a mini Paris-Roubaix? I uh, just, uh, there's nothing that, the, yeah, I feel for the peloton because the, the biggest issue is actually going to be the nervousness. What nervousness causes crashes, the stress in the peloton, it's like, when every director is going to be giving every single rider the same instruction of get to the front, be at the front, and then you've got you know over a hundred riders trying to be at the front, uh, that is actually I think what's going to cause more of the crashes is just the stress leading into it. In saying that, there are eleven sectors, um, but I'll be really interesting. You know, at, at Paris Bay we saw how well Ineos did it. You know, everyone thought, oh, it's 100 k's before the sectors. Uh, we'll just relax where Ineos ended up splitting the entire peloton. So I think certainly their team and Yumbo are the best placed. But uh, there's 11 sectors, which is a lot. Like, that's a lot um, for, for things to go wrong. Um, Van der Poel is my pick yes. um, for yeah, that stage. Too. Where is he? He is quiet. And I think he's still, he's, he's still 
eyeing yellow. He's still within reach um, of ripping that off Walt. I don't think he'll allow him to. Um, but at what point does Walt have to start looking after his GC riders? He has received enormous amounts of support from the team. He's in green. He's in yellow. He's won the stage. Um, but I, And I'm pretty sure the last sector comes with about 10K from the finish. So, yeah, it's it's there's going to be some time gaps for sure if things go wrong. Hollywood, what do you reckon? Yeah, look, I was going to say before you said that, I reckon uh, Vanderpoel will win tomorrow. And he's only, as he's only, I think he's sitting fifth and yellow is still within reach. I don't know whether he'll get that, but I really do think he will win tomorrow. That's just my tip. You know, we normally see uh, time gaps in the Paris-Roubaix and uh, we see the attrition rate is quite high. Uh, riders uh, fall out mid-race. Uh, it's not going to happen, I would suspect, unless they crash. Uh, in this particular stage, but it's a different dynamic, don't you think, Tills? Yeah, you're going to have to, you know, just keep pedalling. You're going to have to get to the line. I think the, I, I'm sure there might be some rules that um, go into place that the, you know, that you know, the time cuts might be a little bit more extended. But you're going to have to keep going because otherwise, you know, your three weeks is obviously over. So this is certainly a stage to watch from the start um, for everyone. Uh, and yeah, will be probably the most exciting for for the, within the next two weeks for sure. This is the domestics. Presented by Black Sheep Well, that's our program, The Domestiques, for episode four. It's a shame we've lost Beardy. And uh, you talked about some of the uh, creations that you purchased in the past with Beardy when you were living at Bondi Tills in Sydney. Um, look, he is different. He's different. He's been to all the Grand Tours as far as I can tell, certainly the Giro. And I've actually done a tour with him, uh, ridden a bike with him. He was my captain in, on an Upre Velo tour through Tasmania twice earlier this year. So he can take photos and he can take you around the state of Tassie, his, his home state now. But you guys go way back? Oh, I think what I would have liked to have said, said to Beardy, though, is just a bit of an ode to photographers. I, I don't think the general public probably realise just how important the role is that they play, even more so at the lower levels. So the levels that I'm at, um, you know, if a bear shits in the woods and you don't you don't see it, did it really happen? And that can feel that way a little bit with women cycling because, you know, the coverage is very limited. And so we truly rely on these photographers and at times a lot of just their generosity in giving us these photos for free so we can promote what happened in the race we can promote uh you know for our sponsors and they they play one of the most important roles in cycling and i think have played an enormous role in the evolution and promotion of women's women's cycling and that can be from the local glenvale st kilda crits all the way up to some some of the world tour races that don't have a lot of coverage so huge ode and 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 um uh to photographers they play an enormously important role in in cycling well said tills uh, and don't forget they sit on the back of a bike all day for three weeks so take my hat off to uh beardy mcbeard and all the other media photographers on uh, the big grand tours well that's our program episode four is out of the way tell your friends tell your enemies if you like about the domestiques we love you and uh listen hollywood uh, uh we expect you to be a little yes. bit more uh, stress-free when we see you next you're in italy i'm reminding you you're in italy you've been in greece you've yes. made it your way across the water to are you in bari i think you said the other day no 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 i flew into bari and then i've driven an hour i don't know where i am i will find out and let you know where i am i reckon, I actually, I reckon honestly... ali's just put you in a cell there that room's not looking <laughs> yeah. real big i oh, know it's <laughs> tiny 
What a tremendous All right, and, and listen, just a, a little tip. Uh, those microphone skills of yours, make sure they're improved for our next episode. Thanks for listening to The Domestics. We'll talk to you very soon. Domestics. The Domestics by Black Sheep Sideman.